Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Bill Press and Friends on the District Productive Network. Let's jump right into it. Here's the question I've got for you today. Uh, whether or not you think you want, as Bill, uh, as Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton asked us to do yesterday, do you want Donald Trump to succeed? It's a simple question, isn't it? 866-55-PRESS. Not so simple. Give us your, give us, uh, your take, 866-55-PRESS. But first, uh, let's let's uh, lead up to that, and I'll give you my take on that in just a second. Uh, I do got to say, every, everywhere I went yesterday, I had calls from people, friends all over the country, emails, uh, people really dealing with the shock, stunned by what happened on Tuesday, and having a hard time, a really hard time. I mean, you know, look, I've been around, I've, I've probably lost, been in more losing elections than winning elections, Right being a Democrat. I mean, and I remember a lot of other losses. And I remember when George W. Bush won. Yeah, that wasn't easy, but I didn't feel like that this time. The same thing when Ronald Reagan won. Yeah, I didn't like that, but I didn't feel like, you know, it was the end of the world. People I talked to, I mean, I had friends calling yesterday and just sobbing, crying. And you know what I heard from most that really, that really impacted me is parents with young kids who said, how, how do I... How do I tell my kids at breakfast what what happened the night before? Because they, you know, they these are six year olds, eight year olds, right? They they know just enough about politics that there's a presidential election, and they know enough that Donald Trump is not a nice guy. They see that they can't they can't watch his speeches because the parents don't want them to hear some of the ugly things Donald Trump is going to say. They know he's a bully. They know he's mean. And now, how do you explain to them that Americans want him as their president? A guy couldn't even go to a presidential news conference because he might say, I'm going to grab women by their you-know-what, right? I mean, it's just parents trying to deal with that. Our two sons, both of them called and said, what do I tell our kids, right? So, I mean, that that to me is just sad, really sad, sad, sad. But So in the middle of that, let's get to the question. The question of the day is, do you want Donald Trump to succeed? President Obama yesterday, that was his message. He said, in fact, he had called, called Donald Trump in the middle of the night. I had a chance to talk to President-elect Trump last night, uh, about 3.30 in the morning, I think it was, to congratulate him on winning the election. And I had a chance to invite him to come to the White House tomorrow. And the president says, you know, now we got to get behind him. I'm confident that... This incredible journey that we're on, as Americans, will go on. And I'm looking forward to doing everything that I can to make sure that the next president is successful in that. To make sure the next president is successful. Again, do you want Donald Trump to be successful? 866-55-PRESS. Hillary Clinton, meeting with her supporters yesterday in a ballroom up in New York, uh, gave... 
a phenomenal speech, I thought. It was one of the best political speeches I've ever heard. It reminded me very much of eight years ago uh, here at the National Building Museum in Washington when the morning after she lost uh, the primary to Barack Obama, uh, she came to her supporters and gave a similar speech. Yesterday she said once again, we're sorry we didn't make it. This is not the outcome we wanted or we worked so hard for, and I'm sorry that we did not win this election for the values we share and the vision we hold for our country. And she said, of course, uh, she admitted, and you can hear her voice break here a little bit, it hurts. This is painful, and it will be for a long time. But I want you to remember this. Our campaign was never about one person or even one election. It was about the country we love. And this is the uh, this is the operative phrase here. She again called, congratulated Donald Trump, and says again, "We have to, we have to hope for his and and work for his success." Last night, I congratulated Donald Trump and offered to work with him on behalf of our country. I hope that he will be a successful president for all Americans. All right, there's the question. She hopes he will be a successful president. President Obama hopes he will be a successful president. Do you hope Donald Trump will be a successful president? That's the question of the day. And you know what? I never thought I would hear myself say this about a new president of the United States. I mean, he's not there yet, but uh, he will be. I don't want Donald Trump to succeed. I want Donald Trump to fail. I do not want Donald Trump to be successful. I accept the fact that he will be my president, our president. I don't want him to succeed because I think if Donald Trump succeeds, we lose everything. If Donald Trump succeeds at what he promised to do, if Donald Trump succeeds at everything he said in this election, this campaign, that will be his priorities, this country will be in terrible shape and the American people will regret it. I don't want that kind of pain and suffering for the American people. Let's be precise. If Donald Trump succeeds, Roe v. Wade will be gone. And he's already talking about the conservative he'll appoint to the Supreme Court. So that could happen as early as next year. Roe v. Wade, gone. If Donald Trump succeeds, everything that Barack Obama has done about climate change will be out. All the new EPA rules, all the new deals with China or whatever, all the money spent to develop new technologies, gone if Donald Trump succeeds. If Donald Trump succeeds, Obamacare is gone. And Mitch McConnell said yesterday it's the first priority. They will do that in the first week, try to, of the Donald Trump administration. And you know what that means? That means like uh, so many of the people that we talked to yesterday, you heard them, who called the show yesterday to point out, you know, they're on Medicare, they're on Social Security, they're on Obamacare for the first time in their life. They've got protection for their families, and they need it. Remember, I think it was Linda who called her son uh, on still on her insurance policy in an automobile accident, now paraplegic. It's just Obamacare that that enables them to afford uh, the the medical care that they need. Could never afford it otherwise. It's gone. Twenty million people who have health insurance for the first time, will lose it. 
and be totally at the mercy of the insurance companies. Really? We want Donald Trump to succeed? If Donald Trump succeeds, we're going to round up 12 million people and send them back south of the border. Imagine what that's going to cost. Imagine this disruption in communities across America and in families across America and businesses across America. Really? That kind of pain and suffering? No, I don't want Donald Trump to succeed. If Donald Trump succeeds, Japan, Saudi Arabia, and South Korea will have nuclear weapons because that's what Donald Trump says. If Donald Trump succeeds, that's what he said he wanted to do. Yeah, yeah, give them nuclear weapons. The more people that have nuclear weapons, the better, according to Donald Trump. If Donald Trump succeeds, we'll be out of NATO. Out of NATO, turn our back on our European allies, and God knows what that means for the security of, of Western Europe. I mean, just think about it. Why should we want Donald Trump to succeed with his agenda? And if Donald Trump succeeds within the first month of his administration, taxes for the wealthiest Americans will be cut again. All those, all those moguls on Wall Street will get another tax cut and the American people will get screwed again because higher ta- taxes will have to go up for the middle class. No, they, I, I, I know it's the nice thing to do. It's the nice thing to say. It's a time when we're supposed to be nice and say, yeah, we're really sorry we lost, but boy, let's get back together again. No freaking way. I do not want Donald Trump to succeed. I want Donald Trump to fail. It just dawned on me part of the reason that this is such a hard election and such a hard loss for our side to swallow is that with George W. Bush, with John McCain, with uh, Mitt Romney, all you know the former candidates for president of the Republican Party, there's been some sort of a dog whistle towards these ideas, right? Like, yeah. you know, we're going to get conservative justices and we're going to see about the right to lie. You know, there's there's a little bit of vagueness to their plans so that way when you get to a point where they can make it a reality you can have that fight again over whether or not it's a good idea he's said explicitly yeah yeah what he's going to do and that i think is the difference this isn't people were sort of conned into doing it people knew what they were voting for he's got a republican senate and a republican house yeah and I just thought of one other thing. You know, if Donald Trump succeeds, there will be no labor unions. There'll be no minimum wage and there'll be no labor unions in this country because he wants every state. He wants a national right to work law where uh, it's almost impossible to form to, to form a union and you don't have to belong to a union and unions cannot uh, can, cannot collect dues from the members on and on. I mean, so there's another reason. Do we do I want Donald Trump to fail? Hell No. 86655 press. Uh, now I know that may that may seem unpatriotic to say it. Uh, and I'm not saying, I mean if he if he walks into a room, I would stand up like I do for President Obama or I did for George Bush. Yeah, I accept the fact that he will have the office and the powers of the presidency of the United States, but I don't want him to to be able to use those powers to achieve what he said he would do once he gets in the oval office. If he does, I think America fails. If Donald Trump succeeds, America fails. Let's take a quick call before we take a break, and then we'll get more calls. David is up in Huntington, New York. Hey, David, what do you say? Hey, uh, good morning, Bill. Good morning. I agree with everything you said, and I think because this situation is so extreme, and I know this is going to be an unusual thing, 
But I think that Loretta Lynch should appoint a special prosecutor to look into his Russian connections and the FBI interference. Because you know, if Rudy Giuliani ends up as our uh, attorney general, everything will be swept under the rug and we'll never know what happened. By the way, and if Rudy Giuliani is the attorney general, the first thing he'll do is appoint a special prosecutor for Hillary Clinton. You don't think all that nice, nice talk about Hillary Clinton yesterday is going to continue. In fact, Kellyanne Conway, Trump's campaign manager, said she wouldn't rule out a special prosecutor for Hillary Clinton, even yet today. So, David, I'm like, boy, I agree with you. I would love to see that happen before the end of the year. Uh, you know, but I know Barack Obama well enough to know it's not going to happen. Yes, indeed. Uh, the pollsters and the prognosticators They were dead sure what was going to happen Tuesday, but it didn't. Leading the pack, Kyle Condig for the Center for (laughs) Politics uh, from the University of Virginia, our good friend. And uh, let's put it this way, Kyle. It's good to see you. Thank you. You're not the only one who got it wrong. Yeah. uh, We had Clinton at 322, uh, and, um, you know, it was our best informed guess. I don't think we ever said that Trump couldn't win. I just think that, you know, we and many others looked at Clinton is a favorite. I don't necessarily think we were wrong to do so, uh, but obviously, you know, but I didn't, didn't work you, out. I just want you to know it cost me money because uh, <laughs> I, I made a bet it was going to be north of 320, 320 yeah. based on your number. Yeah, well, uh, thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what so, can I say? So you we, and Larry uh, owe me dinner. We, uh, <laughs> you know, we we're not we're not gambling, and uh, we actually have a policy. We don't we don't yeah. gamble on this stuff ourselves. So. Kyle, so let's go back to, I mean, again, across the board, um, everybody read this wrong. Were were people just talking to themselves, or were people not telling pollsters the truth, or how do, how do you analyze So it does seem like uh, polls generally got Clinton's number right, you know, her share of the vote in certain states, but then there was this, you know, squishy group of people who were supporting third-party candidates or people who were sh- supporting... Um, or, or who, who were undecided, and it seemed like basically the undecideds broke for Trump, or that the polls weren't really picking up Trump's level of support in a proper way. So, you know, you could have a poll that would be, you know, 46, 43 Clinton in a, in a state, but maybe the real number was 47, 47 when all the undecideds would have been allocated. You know, typically the undecideds don't really break one way or the other uh, necessarily, but I think they did in this case. And uh, there was just a huge election day turnout for Trump in, uh, particularly across the Midwest, uh, whereas Clinton, I think, banked a lot of her vote in the early vote. And so when we start, f- first started getting totals, like in Ohio, for instance, uh, you know, a lot of places looked like they did in 2012 based on the early vote or even better. And then once the election day vote started to come in, the state turned very, very Republican. Uh, I think that probably was the case. I mean, Pennsylvania, certainly the first votes that came in were, you know, there was a lot of Philadelphia, uh, but then Pennsylvania slowly started to, you know, get get closer yeah, and closer right. to, to Tide. And then, of course, Trump took the lead. But uh, but on that. So th- and those were the areas, correct, that the Clinton campaign did not focus on. I think the I, I think uh, Ron Brownstein of the Atlantic, I think, wrote a very um, prescient piece uh, maybe a week or two ago saying, talking about how in pursuing states like Arizona, did the Clinton campaign sort of neglect some of their core states? And I think they did. And it now seems like given given what the margin was, particularly in Ohio, 
um, they they probably should have pulled out. I don't think they re- I, I but I don't think they realized. I think they I don't think they were particularly optimistic about Ohio. Um, but to end up losing it by eight points, clearly it wasn't going to happen for them there. Uh, and if you know, I know they had a lot of resources in the other states too. I mean, I think they had something like 30 field offices in Michigan or something. So it's not like they were ignoring those states. But Clinton herself did not visit Wisconsin. They only came into Michigan at the end. I think they got kind of caught by surprise as, as to what happened in in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin in particular. And uh, you know, those states ended up being pretty much decisive in the outcome. There's a, a story in the New York Times this morning that's talking about the the targeting for the Clinton campaign, that they really were counting on what some people call the new American majority, the Obama, young people, African-Americans, Latinos, and neglecting white working class Americans. And that Bill Clinton kept saying, you got to you gotta pay attention to these people. And the Robbie Mooks and the Brooklyn people were saying, no, 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 we know this is and and there weren't enough. Maybe the new American majority hasn't quite arrived. Yeah, yet. it's it's not a majority yet. Although you know, of course, Clinton won the pop national popular vote. Um, and uh, but in a lot of these key states, particularly in the Midwest, or I, I, when I say that, I sort of include Pennsylvania. I guess maybe the better way to put it is the Rust Belt. Uh, you know, there's those those states are still dominated by. Um, you know, white non-college voters, I mean, more so in some of those states than others. And those voters just swung very heavily to Trump. And, and, you know, the challenge is, is that when we've had areas that are kind of uh, basically white working class areas, when they have switched over to the Republicans, they really haven't switched back. And I think about like the state of West Virginia, which, you know, voted for Michael Dukakis in 1988. And I think yesterday gave Trump his second biggest margin of victory in the whole country. Yeah. Uh, you look, if you look at, at Appalachian, Ohio, Eastern Kentucky, Virginia, Pennsylvania, you know, a lot, there, there are a lot of places that maybe even voted for Al Gore and John Kerry that didn't vote for Obama and obviously voted for Trump in, in heavy, heavy ways. Uh, and so, you know, you can't just give up on those voters, and I wonder if the Democrats basically did. And and but also, I think Trump was was probably a uniquely good candidate for those voters, uh, and well, because because he's not a um, I, I think that he, he's sort of not like a, a nat, uh, an obvious Republican in a lot of ways. Tim Mack joining us. Tim Mack's been. Uh... Talk, we've been talking this campaign with Tim for the last uh, year and a half, if not two years, uh, from uh, senior correspondent for the Daily Beast. Uh, Tim, good to see you. Welcome in. Good morning. You, were you up all night Tuesday night? Oh, I, I would say so. Yeah. <laughs> and then when I tried to get to sleep, you know, I'd, I'd lay in bed for yeah. an hour and a half. Yep. Yeah. And staring at the ceiling. Staring <laughs> into the middle distance, trying you know, to figure like out what the hell happened. Five o'clock in the morning, I can't get to sleep. Yeah, yeah. I'm wondering what it, I'm wondering what it all means. I was interested in your story that um, about what happens with inside the Republican Party now, because there was a big, until the very end, a never Trump people, maybe led by Lindsey Graham. Um, so, did, what do they do now? Where do Look, they go? I think in the short term, they'll try to do what they can and, and figure out the new landscape, figure out whether they can work with Donald Trump. After all. Uh, the Republican Party is now in control of the House, Senate, and the White House. It's going to uh, probably regain the balance in the Supreme Court. Um, so all three branches will, will lean to the right. 
uh, if the Republican Party can remain unified. So there will be enormous pressures for Republicans to fall in line, uh, even those who have traditionally opposed Donald Trump. So you see that in the immediate aftermath of the election. You see Paul Ryan putting out a statement saying, you know, really want to work with yeah. Donald Trump. Right. Um, I was just going to admit, Paul Ryan held this little news conference yesterday. Jamie, just that first Paul Ryan bite here where, and this is a guy, the, the, the context, right? First of all, who didn't endorse Donald Trump at first, pulls Donald Trump down here to Washington, almost, uh, I thought, an embarrassing moment for this big meeting with him at the RNC headquarters. Even after that meeting, he did not endorse Donald Trump. Then he finally did reluctantly. And then he got to the point where he said, I'm not going to defend him anymore. I didn't even mention his right. name. I won't campaign with him. And then yesterday, once Donald Trump wins, here's Paul Ryan. I think what Donald Trump just pulled off is an enormous political feat. It's an enormous feat in that he heard those voices that were out there that other people weren't hearing. And he just earned a mandate. And we now just have that unified Republican government. Uh, and he talks about his relationship. He was asked about his relationship with Donald Trump. I think our relationship is fine. I've spoken with Donald twice in the last 18 hours. We spoke last night. We spoke again this morning. Uh, I spoke with my good friend Mike Pence uh, twice as well. So suddenly they're buddy-buddy, right? <laughs> but that's not going to be true of all of them. I mean, can Lindsey Graham – you'll never hear Lindsey Graham say anything like that, will you? Or will we? I wouldn't put it – I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't cross that out. I wouldn't really? say that wouldn't happen. I mean, Lindsey Graham – may agree with Donald Trump on uh, expanding the defense budget, uh, any sort of uh, veterans care reform. You know, there are things where they can see eye to eye. Um, they might not uh, agree on you know, the best way to fight ISIS or Muslim immigrants, but they will agree on other things. Um, so would I be shocked to see former never Trumpers become sometimes Trumpers? Uh, yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked at all to, to, to see that happen. Well, the, the, it's just the dynamic is so interesting because until, I mean, halfway even through the day or no, until even late into the night Tuesday, we would be having the conversation about, okay, what's going to happen with the Republican Party when Donald Trump loses and are they going to be able to rebuild and who's going to be, who are going to be the leaders of the rebuilding and will Trump just walk away, or will he still be part of the mix? And now it's a totally different picture, which is it's his party, he's in charge, right? And and those never are they really though? Are they are on the sidelines? And and the question is right now, will they be part of the mix? Yeah, reams and reams of pre-written stories oh. written before the election results came in were tossed out promptly at around 10:30 or 11 yeah. on Tuesday evening. Uh, the presumption, and not, you know, like across all news outlets, I bet you. Oh, right? totally. Um, Everybody, <laughs> every news outlet went into Tuesday night's coverage prepared to uh, talk about Hillary Clinton, the first female president of the United States. Right. All the packages were, were done, all the, yeah, all the stories. The glitter was loaded up into the cannons, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. literally at, yeah. at the Clinton election night uh, watch party. Uh, and and it all just went unused. I mean, um, now, but but you also say though, in one of your stories, that you don't think the Republican Senate will necessarily be um, a rubber stamp for Donald Trump. No, I think that I think that there will continue to be anti-Trump reverberations in the Republican-held Senate. There are just too many members there that have stood up against Trump and are viscerally opposed to what he stands for. You know. 
Mike Lee, Senator Mike Lee of Utah, is not going to roll over for Donald Trump. And Ben Sass is not going to roll over. Jeff Flake. And Jeff Flake is not going to roll. These are Republicans who have always opposed Donald Trump, and I expect to continue to, to oppose Donald Trump. But they just don't represent large enough numbers to make a difference. You know, you, you have a handful of, like a rump in the in the caucus that will always be opposed to Donald Trump, maybe a, maybe six, let's say, at, at max. I think that's a good point about how those guys that were against Donald Trump will continue to be against Donald Trump. But I'm not so sure that they're going to be, you know, like I don't think, uh, you know, uh, Jeff Flake or Ben's ass or, or whoever is going to say, you know what, we're not going to let you gut unions or we're not going to let you you know, scrap all the work that we've done on climate change or Obamacare. So I, they're, they're going to be kind of a thorn in his side, but I hardly think they're going to be a nemesis. Right, to him. the extent that Donald Trump is a conventional Republican presidential president, yeah. I, I'm, I'm used to saying presidential candidate, to the extent that he's <laughs> a normal Republican president, they'll be happy to, to, to join him and work with him, right? It's, it's, it's when he starts uh, talking about a wall, it's when he, he kind of moves out of the normal realm of what has traditionally been Republican policy is where he's going to get some. Yeah. And Mati O'Toole with Foreign Policy here to help us kind of sort out what a Trump administration foreign policy might look like. He didn't talk a lot about that during the campaign, but he's going to have all these decisions to make. Hello, Molly. Tall task. Hello. All right. It's nice to see you. We have a little foreign policy news, actually, to uh, start, kick off our conversation. So you remember throughout the campaign, the Clinton campaign was talking about how Donald Trump was essentially a um, tool of the Russian government. Well, it wasn't maybe quite so far from the truth. Uh, In an interview with uh, Interfax, uh, foreign ministry, uh, someone from the foreign ministry, uh, Deputy Foreign Minister Sergei Ryabkov said that Russia was in contact with Donald Trump's campaign team all throughout the U.S. election campaign, even though Donald Trump said that they were right. not talking to Russia. He confirmed, quote, there were contacts and then says, quote, we will continue this work, of course, the Trump presidency, no longer the Trump campaign. So, Molly... <laughs> Uh, there are so many questions about that, but one is 17 U.S. intelligence agencies right. said Russia was behind the hacking. They were doing the hacking. They're giving it to WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks right. is putting it out there. Why wasn't that a bigger story? I mean, this is this is a foreign government trying to influence an right. American election successfully, we might add. Why didn't why didn't people you know see that as a bigger story? It was a big story. I mean, throughout the campaign, there was a lot, a lot, a lot of attention, even before some of the hacking came out, for example. There was a lot of attention given, I, I mean, I suppose in certain outlets that may not have been, I mean, how how many voters were, you know, reading the New York Times every day or the Washington Post or Foreign Policy magazine. I think we can see what the result of the election was and, and figure that out. But uh, a lot of attention was given to even just Trump's comments I- about Russia. I mean, we already had the the invasion and annexation of Crimea. Uh, we already had Russian action, um, aggression before. We had already Russia stepping into Syria. And just Trump's comments alone, how friendly he was 
uh, to Moscow, suggesting that maybe the U.S. should just leave Syria to Russia or form a military alliance to him. A lot of attention was given to that. A lot of people raised questions about how troubling that could potentially be, what that seemed to say. And then when the hacks started coming out in the summer, first the DNC, then we had other individuals, Colm Powell uh, also being hacked. Um, when some of these hacks started coming out, People sought to make that tie to say, OK, we've got all these hacks. The Russian government is, is meddling in the election and we have Trump making these statements that are friendly towards Russia. Not that hard to sort of connect the dots there and say, OK, he Russia, at least, is working on his behalf because they see him as being friendlier. That was a story. Now, why people didn't but it wasn't, care? I must say it wasn't yeah. a really big story. I mean, other stuff was going on at the time. But, I mean, here you have a foreign government, not just any foreign government. Here you have Russia, you know, which we're kind of back in the Cold War anyway. They've hardly, they've hardly been friendly for the reasons you cited right. with what's happening in Syria and the Ukraine. Yeah. And and they're interfering in this election and only on one side. I mean, clearly. Right. right. And Roger Stone, before the, the WikiLeaks stuff came out, said, oh, you watch John Podesta, man. We're going to learn a lot about John Podesta. Right. Roger Stone obviously had been in cahoots with them and knew what was coming. And I... I mean, it was it was like high treason, right? Or and I think people just kind of shrugged it off as part of this I mean, campaign. There, there are a few things. I mean, I uh, think there also there, were. I'm sorry. sorry I, can, I can see like if that had happened, if they were hacking into Donald Trump's emails, there would have been demands for congressional hearings. Yeah, right. You yeah. know, we've got to send the Sixth Fleet and you know off the coast, whatever, in the Baltic to scare Russia, or we would have had flights over. I mean, people are demanding some military response right. even. Yeah. Well, I think I think you're right. There's, so there are a few things here, right? There's the one that a lot of there were supporters, uh, a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters, for example, uh, or Trump supporters, but Democrats as well, or people who were inclined to not be a big fan of Hillary Clinton to start with. She did have this sort of perception uh, of not being trustworthy because of the email scandal, which was beforehand, because of some of the things around the Clinton Foundation. People who were saying, yes, okay, it's bad that Russia potentially is feeding these things to WikiLeaks, but the things that they're showing us, the voters should know. Right. Mm -hmm. So some people yeah. who weren't necessarily right. upset yeah. that this was going on because they thought these were things that should be revealed. And so potentially not thinking critically about, OK, this is only happening on one side. Why is it happening? Why would the Russians necessarily be benefiting? Another thing that we should look at is there were some polls that were done. Now, then again, I, I never want to cite numbers again in my life because it, they, uh, we, it was so astray. Um, but if we look at that as one data point, there were some polls that suggest that some members of the American public think that the U.S. should be working with Russia. Now, work now. Not not obviously yeah, not necessarily right. advocating for excuse me hacking advocating for hacking yeah. emails, but saying that they do want the U.S. to cooperate with ha Russia, that they really don't want to go back into this Cold War, that yeah. we should be working with them in Syria. Some so, people support that. So yeah. some people saw a kind of logic yeah. in what Donald Trump was uh, was saying. Uh, Jennifer Bendery covers the Hill as well as the White House for Huffington Post, joining us in studio today. I mean, I, I understand why President Obama and Hillary Clinton both yesterday uh, gave, I thought, very good remarks saying, okay, this is what happened. We've got to get together and we have to wish the new president well. Wishing Donald Trump well means waterboarding, redux, Obamacare repeal. Yeah. Do we really want that to happen? Of course not. But I, I don't think that's what they meant when they said, we wish you well. I, I, you know, of course they're going to come out and say it's time for the country to come together. The election's done and pe the people have spoken and 
what, what are they going to say? Right. Like, we're going to contest everything, and this is terrible, and yeah. Donald Trump is, but is a fraud. That's what did with Obama. Democrats don't play as dirty. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that that's where we necessarily need to be. And I think you're right. We don't play as dirty. I think that the the Hillary Clinton concession speech was as graceful as we've ever seen from any oh, no. politician yeah, ever. Yeah, it was incredible. And I don't know that we would have gotten that had the election results been it, it, reversed. It's it, it just you have to realize that if if Donald Trump were to succeed at everything he said he wanted to do as president, I think it would be a disaster for well, the country right. and for what we believe in. And so maybe we can only hope that he stays in good health, but he's not able to accomplish even half of what he said. Well, you're also, um, you have to have a functioning Congress to get a lot of this stuff done. And while it's true, he does now have I mean, it's it's an all Republican town now, right? I mean, the oh, yeah. Republicans have a slimmer majority yeah. in the Senate, but not they the still Supreme, have it. Not the Supreme Court yet, but give them a week. Right, but yeah. the, the Senate, the, it got a little bit less Republican yeah. this time around, yeah. so now yeah. the margin is slimmer. The House is pretty solidly Republican. I think they might have lost a few seats, but yeah. nothing major. Right, Six And seats, you, I think. you've got Trump in the White House. You've got eight Supreme Court justices, which means Trump, you know, Trump gets to... Yeah. The he gets to steal so, Obama's Supreme Court nomination. And and across the country, you've got more Republican governors than Democratic. And mm-hmm. I think I think we've got more Republican-led legislatures right now than than Democratic. Still, so still. I, I yeah. think oh, so. Yeah. Oh no, so, no, we do. So we that do. means we are in a sea of red right now. So, um, but the the key for Trump is getting Congress to work for, with him and to get stuff done and. You know, it's certainly to his van- advantage that it's all his party, but that doesn't mean that everyone is in lockstep in Congress, and it doesn't be... mean that they even know how to get stuff done in there right now. Right. As right. a as a as a body. E- even even if Republicans ma- even while Republicans have maintained control, let's talk about the Senate, for example, because we've been looking for uh, little nuggets of good news among the ashes, right? And if you look um, for Democrats in the Senate, uh, there are five new faces that are coming in: Tammy Duckworth replacing Mark Kirk in Illinois. Uh, Catherine Cortez Masto replacing Harry Reid in, in Nevada. Chris Van Hollen taking Barbara Mikulski's seat. Um, Maggie Hassan from New Hampshire just decided uh, yesterday. Uh, and then the other one is, who do I have? Illinois. Did you say Illinois already? Yeah. Tammy Duckworth? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's one other, though. Uh, I, I can't California. Read, I can't Kamala read. Harris. Kamala Harris. Yeah, Thank you. you. Kamala can't Harris. read my own yeah. writing. Yeah, 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 Kamala yeah. Harris, yeah. <laughs> So you got some new women in there. Uh, yeah, and three women of color. Mm-hmm. You know, Tammy Duckworth, uh, <coughs> Catherine Cortez Masto, and uh, and Kamala Harris. So, I mean, that's that that's going to change the makeup certainly of the Senate and give Democrats some new blood and some new energy. Yeah, it, definitely. It, it's nice to have some diversity in the Senate, which is classically the least diverse room in the whole city. Um, yeah. But yeah, they've got some new women. They've got. To me, more importantly, is they, the, that Democrats picked up two seats. So it's true, there's more women and and different races now, but um, the narrower edge that Republicans have in there is going to make it harder for them to get stuff done. Because don't forget, there are there's two independents in there in the Senate right. who tend to caucus with Democrats, and I think that puts it at um, is it 52-48? I, I think that's what it is now, after yeah, Maggie Hassan. So, right. so okay, they need 51 votes to get a lot of stuff done. That's That gives them one vote in right. the Republican side uh, advantage. Right. But don't forget, you've got people like Jeff Flake. Uh, Jeff Flake. For example. Ben Sass. And ben Sass. You've got um, Mark, Mike Lee. 
wasn't he? Mm, no, he not was Mike a, Lee. No, he's, he'll, he'll, he'll go along the pretty happily. Uh, Jeff Lake, Ben's ass, and... Ben Sass. No, you say the way you say it. Say it you Ben's say ass? ass. No, I think it's pronounced Ben's ass. <laughs> no, it's Ben's ass. I thought no one noticed no. earlier. I thought I was it's not I have ass. never heard of it. I'm pretty sure it's, it's Ben's, Ben's ass. ass. It's not Ben's ass. You sure? Yes. I'm not sure about that. It's Ben's sass. Oh my God! It's so early right now. <laughs> I know. Um, but there's a third. We we talked. There about is. Well, so Kelly Ayotte was a moderate, but she's out now. Um, there's someone else who was anti-Trump. Another senator, Republican senator. <laughs> oh, Lindsey Graham. Yes, L- there's Lindsey. Lindsey Graham. So you do have some uh, some somewhat squishy Republicans on some issues where it's not going to be a lockstep vote for Trump whenever he wants to get something done. So I think that's really, if there is a silver lining for, for progressives, it is that. Okay. In the Senate, and there is talk, a little bit of a firewall there. You talked earlier, and it's true that, uh, to, that I've, I've, made the, I've been complaining about this my entire life, that Democrats don't play dirty, right? They're not willing sometimes to get down and do what Republicans did. Do they have enough members, and will, will they exercise, like, to filibuster in the Senate just to prevent some Donald Trump from or Republicans from getting some things done? I think you can expect Democrats to pull out every every really? possible yeah. stop in the book to so, to, to so, try to jam things. I mean, yeah. that's so all they Chuck can Schumer's do. Chuck Schumer is that kind of player? Of course. And I don't think that they're going to – that's different from playing dirty. That's yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's using uh, the rules to your advantage. And Republicans right. did a very good job of using rules to their advantage. And I don't think Democrats would um, – I just don't see them being quite as um, cavalier with, with certain – rules to get their way, but they are by no means just going to roll over and, and let things get through. They're going to use everything they can to stop a nominee, to stop a bill, to block an amendment, to hold up a vote. I mean, th- there's there's so many different rules in the Senate, and yeah. you can bet your ass that they know what they are and how to use them. You can bet Ben's ass. Yeah. Ben's ass. Ben's ass. Ben's sass. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's uh, Ben's ass. No, I don't it's know. not. not sure. Okay. All right. All right. The Parting Shot. With Bill Press, this is the Bill Press Show. Well, you know, for all of us, it was a tough day yesterday dealing with the worst election loss any of us, any of us have ever suffered. And then President Obama and Secretary Clinton both spoke out and said that what we have to do right now is remain true to our democratic tradition, wish the new president well, and hope he succeeds. You know, I know they're right. I may even go along with them someday. But not yet. It hurts too much now. It'll be a long time before I have any good thoughts about Donald Trump. That's my parting shot for today, folks. Have a great, great Thursday. Come back and see us again tomorrow with John Allen. We'll be looking for you. This is the Bill Press Show.